whenever I ask him like about the whole business plan, he'll say, oh, I'm meeting this company, that company. And there were people who wanted to buy his company. And he said, no way, this is like a you know, unicorn. Why would I sell it, right? So as luck would have it, I think after three years or so, I get this really nice email saying, hey, like we have tried raising a lot of money and the company is out of cash and I have no other option but to like shut it down. Hello, fellow risk takers, and welcome to my worst investment ever, stories of loss to keep you winning. In our community, we know that to win in investing, you must take risk, but to win big, you've got to reduce it. Today's episode is sponsored by the Women Building Wealth Membership Group, the complete proven step-by-step course to guide women from novice to confident investor. To learn more, go to womenbuildingwealth.net. My name's Andrew Stotts from A. Stotts Investment Research, and I'm here with featured guest Suresh Mahadevan. Now, are you ready to rock, Suresh? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right. So let me tell the audience a little bit about you. Suresh is currently the CFO of SureCash, a fintech firm that operates in Bangladesh. Suresh was previously group CFO at DigiAsia, an Indonesian fintech firm. Prior to that, he spent close to 12 years with UBS in leadership positions in Hong Kong, India, and Singapore, covering the Asia equities business. Suresh has been an angel investor for the past four years with over 20 investments. He also advises a few startups on strategy, culture building, and fundraising. <laughs> That's the key, the fundraising part. Suresh is an, an MBA from Columbia School Business School, postgrad diploma in management from IIM Calcutta, and has an undergraduate degree in electrical engineering. Suresh, take a minute and fill in a few tidbits about your life. Sure. I think the things that really excite me are cricket, <laughs> startups, and maybe uh, listed equities. So for my, uh, for my listeners in America, he's not talking about the insects call, that we call crickets. Yes, this is the game of cricket, which is like religion in India. And timely as it may seem, the Cricket World Cup, which gets played once in four years, is currently underway in England. So, and India seems to be one of the favorites, at least okay. during the Cricket World Cup. And so, and to, other to, things. To, to, yeah, to watch yeah. that, do you have to stay up all night or how's the timing for that? Yeah, so it starts at 5.30 p.m. and probably ends at 2 a.m. So I have been having a few sleepless nights. So is all of India shut down while everybody goes after work and watches that? Yeah, absolutely. Glued onto the TV. And, you know, people sometimes don't even change their seating posture because they think that may affect the luck of the team. <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> It's such an amazing, you know, cricket is so confusing for the first time um, person watching it. And already you say, you know, the, the World Cup happens or the World Challenge happens in every four years. And then I look at it, it's, it's not like it's a half an hour game. Yeah, it's a one day game nowadays. So there is a, a shorter 2020 version, which is very similar to probably a baseball game. So cricket in a, the World Cup is just two innings, one innings per team. I, I know the base, baseball games are probably whatever, 12 innings or whatever it is, like some mm. long number. But I think it's fundamentally the similar skill set, perhaps. Pitching and batting and, you know, hitting the ball, like swinging the ball. 
yeah. hit it out of the park, right? Basically. Got it. Knock it out of the park. And yes. speaking of knocking it out of the park, that's how most people think about investing. I'm going to knock this out of the park. I'm going to invest in this company and it's going to go to the moon. So maybe it's a good time to have you share your worst investment ever. And since no one goes into their worst investment thinking it will be, tell us a bit about the circumstances leading up to it and then tell us your story. So I ventured into angel investing four years ago and it's quite random how I got into it. So I've always been very interested in the equity markets. So I ended up working in the equity markets. And uh, one fine day, I was working at UBS, which I think most of the listeners may be familiar with. It's a large investment bank, which is dominant in Asia, kind of. And one fine day, UBS decided that people who work at UBS cannot invest in stocks anymore. List stocks anywhere in the world anymore. And I believe the rule is still currently on. So suddenly I felt, oh, so what can I invest in? So I wrote back. So they said, oh, you can invest in ETFs, you can invest in private companies. So that kind of interested me. And so I started getting to know a little bit about private companies. So the worst investment ever, which I'm going to talk about, is my third angel investment. And it has some connect to cricket, which you will understand. <laughs> so this company is a fantasy sports company. And the way it makes money is it lets people to pick up their own team. So let's say two teams are playing, they can pick their own team from the two. So let's say to give a baseball example, if New York Yankees are playing the whatever, you know, Boston Red Sox, <laughs> you can have your own team with a mix of players from both. <laughs> and then you can put some money behind your team. And if the, depending on the performance of the various individuals, you could get like, you could win big, right? So you picked all the right players. So the model was very simple. They collected all the price money, distributed 80% of it. And, you know, clearly cricket is like religion and it's, some, it's a sport I have followed for, I don't know, four decades now. So I thought, wow, this is great. And I think that is also something. So this company basically was a software company, it built an app where it allowed you know, subscribers to bet money on people they pick. And they would strongly advertise this as a game of skill, not a game of chance. Because if you have been following your cricket or baseball for years, then you know who to pick <laughs> based on what conditions that prevail that day. So cricket, obviously, I, I, I have been a, you know, very ardent fan of cricket. So of course, that was one of the reasons I got really excited about this company. Now, what also excited me was, I mean, I'm sure you're familiar with the Premier League, which happens in England, yep. football. So roughly 11, 12 years ago, I think 11 or 12 years ago, there was this Indian Premier League in cricket, which is formed. There were like eight teams and, you know, these teams were all sold for some good prices. And at that time, I thought it was quite high, the prices were. And obviously, 10, 10, 12 years later, whatever prices people bought them seems really cheap because cricket has such a wide following in India, right? And uh, this is a shorter version of the game, which finishes very similar to a baseball game in, you know, three and a half hours or whatever. And so I, again, you know, I thought since IPL, which is the Indian Premier League in cricket was such a big success, 
and I, I obviously consider myself somewhat of an expert in cricket. <laughs> and I said, wow, this is, you know, that also were like the reasons I got super excited about this company. And then the founder, it was a single founder company. This founder is a very, very highly qualified guy. You know, he went to all the right schools, the Ivy League equivalents in India. He went to the best engineering school, the best management school, and he was a celebrity in Twitter. He had millions of followers. He used to, you know, have some funny one, two liners on sports and other things. So he had a personality. Yeah? And of course, you know, I did speak to like some of my friends are in the sports content business and they were like, boss, this is great, right? I mean, we also want to invest. I did ref checks <laughs> to ensure that this is something. So they said, yeah, yeah, we also want to invest. This is a great opportunity, right? So that is what got me excited. And since, you know, it's a, like, you know, it's a once in a lifetime opportunity, it seemed like I said, okay, let me make a big bet. <laughs> so I put 100K into this business. I said, okay, look, this looks really good. And so I, I should say in hindsight, right? Obviously the diligence was a little less, okay? A, because it was, I was in my early days of angel investing. B, there were all these, you know, what is the right word? I don't know. Maybe these factors, which kind of seduced me. Yeah, I was going to say seductive. Yeah. It's seductive, particularly when yes. it's a celebrity and you're going to be together and you're going to, yeah. this guy, yeah. Yeah, this is like a really good deal, right? I mean, this is a play on cricket popularity in India, right? And, you know, we, we all know it's going to be a home run, right? You're going to look like a genius. <laughs> so, so I said, okay, look, let me do this. And so I, I think, you know, it was very, so I signed up and I also introduced this founder to a few friends. And so what was surprising was, so I got introduced to this guy by one of his classmates. And I, I don't think that guy thought I'll invest this quickly. But unfortunately, after I invested, he said, hey, by the way, I forgot to tell you, this guy's not great with numbers and stuff. Huh? He's such a great guy. But you know what? His number sense, I think, is a little missing. So I said, I, should, you, I wish you told me this earlier, but okay. I mean, whatever. I got excited. I, I have invested, right? And the other interesting thing which I noticed was, you know, obviously this guy used to come out to Singapore regularly from India and hang out. And he is always smoking, always drinking. So I thought like this guy cares so little about his health. And I told him, hey, like this company is yours and looks like there is a key man risk here, you know. So that is one of the red flags. I said, okay. And also the guy was like staying in some of the best hotels. I was like, so you're a startup founder. I mean, I know this is great, but you know, like rather than have a $5 Starbucks coffee, he will go into a, you know, I don't know, a Fullerton and have a $15. Did cabinet. you start wondering if you're funding his lavish lifestyle? <laughs> yes. Yeah. So it was a little weird. And I told him, hey, you know, maybe there are some, so he said, no, these things don't matter. Like, you know, this was like, uh, we, we are great, right? And the other interesting thing was he wanted a lot more introductions and he was constantly fundraising. <laughs> so, so he kept raising money. And the problem is his business is very seasonal around cricket. So cricket doesn't happen all the time. So either India has to play or the Indian Premier League. 
So I said, why are you raising so much? Like, you know, you keep... so he said, no, no, the IPL is coming and we want to really go big and all that. So I said, okay, maybe, yeah, that's, that makes sense. <laughs> Let's help him. So a lot of people, unfortunately, also invested in this company, uh, thanks to me, which is mm-hmm. another big embarrassment in the end, right? Mm-hmm. So then uh, this thing went on for a couple of years. And then uh, it soon dawned upon me that the company is not making a huge amount of progress. So, so the Problem with startups, I think, is when things are going wrong, they don't communicate much. <laughs> so the guy only kept asking for intros. And then he started saying, hey, can you make some business intros? Maybe I can do this cricket league thing within organizations and all. So I tried introducing. And those people said, doesn't work for us, really. Like, <laughs> like this is some betting stuff. <laughs> what is that, right? <laughs> like, you know, in an organization, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So he said, no, no, it's bragging rights. I'm better at picking who's the right (laughs) player for this match and all these things. So it soon dawned upon me, maybe the business is not as solid, okay? So the other red flag, which which was really worried, which was worrying is whenever I ask him like about the whole business plan, he'll say, oh, I'm meeting this company, that company. And there were people who wanted to buy his company. And he said, no way, this is like a you know, unicorn. Why would I sell it, right? <laughs> so his kind of whole, the founder's ego, like he was a sole founder, right? And the world is celebrating him, right? Even today, he has millions of followers on Twitter. So the world is thinking, boss, you are a genius, right? <laughs> so I think there is an element of, you know, how, how can this not work out, right? So as luck would have it, I think after three years or so, I get this really nice email saying, hey, like we have tried raising a lot of money and like the company is out of cash and I have no other option but to like shut it down. <laughs> so it was like, so essentially what had happened was clearly there was a much well-funded competitor, which is now a unicorn, which constantly advertises in the <laughs> television, <laughs> a company called Dream 11, which is very famous. So they became like it became like a winner takes all and they took everything right because they were well funded they could do the customer acquisition and obviously this guy ran out of cash and he ended up winding up the company and the big lessons for me was actually he was a very successful advertising guy he had a big twitter presence i'm sure he can endorse some brands whatever his opportunity cost of making this work was very very so I think for me, I think where I probably went wrong was the opportunity cost bit, right? I, you want to invest with founders where the opportunity costs are high. Second thing is like he thought everything could be solved with money, right? His only problem was, oh, let me need more cash. Let me get more cash. And I, I, I don't think he thought as much about competition and other things. And thirdly, I think, you know, later as I did more diligence and stuff, his, him and his employees were taking regular salaries, right? And it was not like a startup, right? And obviously the business was seasonal. So it, it almost made the business unviable. These guys taking a huge amount of salary. And, you know, I, I am pretty confident that he could have sold this company with that initial traction for maybe three, five, even 10 X, but, his ego could not permit that, right? He was saying, hey, 
this is such a sure shot, right? I am the guy, this is cricket, this is going to, but you know, obviously there was a much bigger competitor and you know. So I think the two big things was, you know, when things start going wrong, single founders tend to become very delusional. So in fact, when I looked at my investment portfolio, there are a couple of other companies which haven't gone to zero yet, but not doing well. There are, there are some common things like sole founder is one of them, where they kind of become a little delusional. Right? They externalize failure. They don't look inward, I think. Mm. Which so all these valuable lessons for 100K I learned. <laughs> and I think hopefully through this podcast, some of the listeners can also learn. And I think so I have obviously post this, I've totally refined my investing process in the sense, if I am seduced by the founder, then I get a lot of other people to look at it, right? <laughs> mm. And secondly, I think, you know, you have to do a little bit more work on the character of the founders in terms of their opportunity cost, resilience. Like it has to be a leaner company, right? You can't be living in five-star hotels and taking regular salaries. That is not entrepreneurship. Yeah. That is basically you have like found a bunch of people to fund your savage lifestyle. And, yeah, and you have a massive call option, right? If this works, you know what? Great. <laughs> so that that okay. is the second thing. Mm. And the third thing is, of course, you know, I think we need to pay attention to some of the red flags. So like, for example, this guy not taking care of his health was such an obvious red flag. Him like staying in all these fancy places. It was such an obvious, I mean, there's no need to stay in Fullerton Bay Hotel, you know. <laughs> it's like if you can very well stay in, a, I don't know, a holiday in or something, right? Mm. So it is so obvious and in your face that, you know, I, I don't know, I chose to ignore it maybe. Yep. So I think those are the, perhaps the lessons and, you know, I'm certainly wiser, mm. <laughs> but, you know, I wish I was not that easily seduced after being servicing some of the most sophisticated, uh, you know, institutional investors. Yep. I just got too seduced because of the cricket, the whole celebrity kind of nature of the founder, et cetera, right? Yeah, got it. So maybe I'll summarize some of the yes. things that I take away from it. Yes. Well, the first lesson that I get from it is actually not even about the investment, but it's about the concept that the first entrant into an industry is not necessarily the winner. The winner in this case ended up being the Dream 11 yes. that came along and said, hmm, good idea. We'll get the funding. We'll do this and took it away from They're the first, a unicorn first mover. Now. Yeah. yeah, they're more than a unicorn. So the idea yeah. was not bad. <laughs> yep. the ideas are inherently and, not good or bad, right? It's the yeah. execution. Well, that's where I, whenever I look at the idea of investing in angel investing or startup, I look at four things. First is trust. Mm -hmm. The second is the idea. The third is the execution. And then the fourth is the cash or the money mm. you know, and the funding. And, you know, the first thing that I've learned in life is that trust must be built over time. There's really no way you can accelerate hmm. the building of trust. Yeah. And, and if we remember that, then that helps us when we go into a situation to say, hey, yeah, I, I like this guy and this man or this woman is really seductive, but the truth is I can't really know that trust until you know, I get to know them more. And the second thing is, so if there's no trust, the deal's off, get out and all that. Then the second one is if there's some trust or you feel like this is worth building that trust, the next thing is the idea. 
And if mm -hmm. it's a bad idea, then, you know, trust doesn't mean anything. Yes. Uh, but here you describe a pretty good, you know, idea. And then the third one is execution. And that's, you know, my worst investment ever came down to an angel investment. And basically it was trust, absolutely. And it was a good idea, but it was the execution that I realized after a while, like this, this is not going to work. In fact, we're going to go into the big leagues. We're going to raise millions of dollars and we're going to have to compete out there. And is this person really able to lead the execution of that? And when I, the answer to that came to be no, I had to basically walk away from, you know, the whole investment. And so that execution is such a critical thing. If you have trust, you have idea, but you don't have execution, you've got nothing. And then the final one is, of course, funding. In order, if it's a good idea, good execution, you know, have you lined up funding or, or are you the only supplier of funding? In my case, that's what I was. And so, um, yeah, some of that, I think this one really kind of broke down at the point of execution. Yes. So that kind of makes me think of some of the, what the situation that, that I went through. So those are yeah, some I of think the, there is also a trust issue here in the sense I got too enamored by cricket and the mm. large addressable market. I think some of the basic red flags that was happening right in front of my eyes, I chose to ignore them. Yeah. And I think that the fact is, is that when I'm sure as a financial professional, when you're talking to your clients and you're, advising clients and thinking about that, you put in a lot of care into the research that you do and the suitability of this particular investment for that client and all that. And sometimes we throw that out the window when we're looking at our own stuff. Yes. Particularly for a lot of financial people that I know, because what ends up happening is you get overconfident and you feel like you really yes. know this stuff and then you overlook things. So I think one of the big lessons that I would take away is that if you find yourself being really excited about an idea, it may be the red flag that this needs a lot of research. So Yes. Great. All right, let's try to help the, the person out there who's in this similar situation. They're being seduced by a really interesting, possibly great idea. They want to invest in it, and we don't want them to lose their money. So based on what you've learned from this story and what you continue to learn as you continue to be an angel investor, what one action would you recommend our listeners take to avoid suffering the same fate? Yeah, I think the largest takeaway for me is basic research on the character of the entrepreneur. So I think, you know, nowadays I and a group of my friends who angel invest, we do a tremendous amount of effort in terms of getting ref checks done on the founder with multiple people. And, you know, sometimes these are references which come from the founder, but most of the time these are not coming from the founder. Through our network, we figure out, hey, what do you think about this? I mean, either we go to a consumer of the product or service, or we go to somebody who we know through our network and get a quick. And I think the character of the founder particularly is very, very key in terms of his or her opportunity cost, resilience, and even other things, doing the right thing. So we put up, and I also think I get even more cautious when it is a sole founder business. I know I would probably miss Facebook or some of the big single founder successes. But as I said, you know, in my 20 odd, I think 23 or 24 kind of investments, the three which are not doing well, one which has gone to zero and two probably which may go to zero in the next few quarters, all are sole founder led businesses. And I think the common theme is they tend to completely 
blame everything else except themselves. Got it. So for the listeners out there, that's of the six common mistakes that I've identified, this is number two, and that's failed to properly assess and manage the risk. And here we have what Suresh mentioned was, you know, assessing the risk and the attractiveness of the product is one thing, but doing a lot of due diligence about the risks related to the person or the people involved. And I think what matters most is what do they do in tough situations? That's really what matters most. You know? Yes, absolutely. And when you are going in an early stage in a company, right? things are not going to be rosy. There'll be more bad days than good days. And mm. that is when the character of the founder really becomes your margin of safety, right? Yep, exactly. Like, you need yes. it at that moment. Yes. And that my business partner in one of my investments and in, you know, co-founding was Coffee Works, our coffee business in Thailand. Mm-hmm. It's a B2B roasting factory. But we went through the 1997 crisis and, and long after it, we started just before it and the character of my best friend Dale who runs it really shone through that he kept trudging and he never betrayed the interest of the other you know, investors and, and tried to do his best to protect the interest of employees in the company. And when I saw that, then that trust was checked off and I felt like anything that I could do to support him, you know, I wanted to do. And so the trust is key. All right, last question. What's your number one goal for the next 12 months? Okay, so I have recently joined a, a fintech company in Bangladesh called SureCash. I think it's a very interesting company in the sense it's primarily built on financial inclusion. We, we, we basically are trying to help the government distribute money to mothers of primary school kids. So that is the foundation. And over the next 12 months, we really want to build a great business, which is not only helps improve lives of people, but also creates value for our shareholders. So I think that's going to be my primary goal, I think, uh, over the next 12 months. That is a very exciting you know, opportunity. And I think that's an impactful thing to get that cash into the right hands. So fantastic. That's exciting. Well, There you have it, listeners, another story of loss to keep you winning. To find more stories like this, previous episodes, and resources to help you reduce your risk, visit my worst investment ever. And while you're there, send me your story of loss so we can get you on the show. As we end, Suresh, I want to thank you again for coming on the show. I know it's painful talking about our losers. Ouch. But our listeners are learning to win as a result. Do you have any parting words for the audience? Yeah, no, I think uh, angel investing is, uh, I think it's a great, it's great because it helps companies get off the ground, ideas get off the ground. But one thing I want all our listeners to remember is it is perhaps the most illiquid investment you can ever make. So if you have college fees to pay for your kids or school fees, sending them to expensive private schools, don't put that money in angel investing. Put money there, which you don't need it for the next 15 years. And are hoping, like, you know, in a worst case scenario, you could write it off. So only use that money for angel investing. Great, great advice. In angel investing is kind of binary. It's either zero or one. And that one may not come for 20 years, as you say. So great advice to the audience. All right. Well, that's a wrap on another great story to help us create, grow, and most importantly, protect our well fellow risk takers. I'll see you on the upside.